All right. Uh, good afternoon uh, or good morning to wherever you're watching and also to those who are present. Uh, my name is Pastor Jonathan, and um, today we'll be looking at content creation, specifically graphic design and its principles. And the past week, Pastor Michael has been guiding us through uh, and showing us how we can use digital evangelism for um, or in terms of social media. And the last presentation that he gave was showing us practical tools or platforms that we can use for digital evangelism. And so my, my uh, talk today is more tailored towards the question of, okay, we know what we should do, we know that we should do it, but the question is, how do we actually get to the point of creating? How do we create content for social media? And I want to propose to you that you don't really have to be uh, this amazing designer. You don't have to be extremely skilled or talented. Uh, anyone can do this if you follow these simple uh, principles. And also, uh, just to throw this in there, you don't have to use paid software as well. Just a little disclaimer, I've designed this entire presentation in Keynote, which is a uh, presentation software, a free presentation software from Apple. You can use PowerPoint as well. But there's a question that I've had, and the question that I've had, or I want to ask to all of you today as well is, do the creative arts have a place in the church? And the reason why we ask this is because, or at least coming from my background, a lot of times we'll associate uh, uh, creativity with, with uh, um, a lack or, or, or a desire to go away from the rules. We don't like to be constrained or restricted. And also, at the same time, many of the creative arts invoke feeling or emotion. And there's this idea out there that emotions or feelings are bad things. True, yes or no? Obvious answer is no. But at the same time, uh, feelings do have their proper place, <clears throat> but not in priority in our relationship with God. So meaning they're not to be the highest uh, priority of our standing with God. We know that Ellen White talks about how reason and um, good judgment are to rule and guide us. She calls them the higher powers. So do the creative arts have a, have a place in the church? And the reason why I had this question, again, just to reiterate, was because oftentimes you'll notice there's a divide between media people or so-called uh, creatives and conservatives. And I don't want to get political. I'm just showing what I've observed personally, even in my own life. But you'll go or you'll observe that in churches, you'll find there's often a division, um, not usually in a bad way, but there's, there's a clear division between the media or AV team and the rest of the church congregation. And I can say that because I myself, we've been working up there in AV with our team. And so this is not me against you. This is me trying to, having both sides trying to bridge the gap. And so we see this divide. And the reason um, that we see this divide is because we have here a group of people 
who are behind the scenes and they're making everything work in the church, but there's not much involvement. But it goes even deeper than that. And usually what you will find in creatives is that that they're high in a personality trait called openness. What is openness? Openness is one of the five personality traits of the big five personality theory. It indicates how open-minded a person is. A person with a high level of openness to experience in a personality test enjoys trying new things. They are imaginative, curious, and open-minded. And so, a lot of times you'll find that most creatives, they don't like to be restricted by rules and regulations. And so, when you have a conservative church that is more bent towards... um, not all the time, but it it's, leans more towards uh, rigidity and order and rules. You'll find that there's a lot of times there tends to be uh, an, an opposing uh, or opposition between the two. And just to give a little bit of backstory to what I'm talking about, um, I went to a college called Heartland College, and Heartland was specifically, uh, they offered a few majors or courses that were tailored to ministry. A couple of them being uh, pastoral evangelism, uh, media, midwifery, health, things like that. They're tailored towards ministry. And out of all the different majors, there was a stereotype that the media majors were the least spiritual. That was the stereotype. And me, I had initially come to Heartland studying media. I had not taken the theology or the pastoral evangelism major. And so I looked at that and I thought, why is that the case? And it wasn't until God moved on my heart and he called me to study the Bible. And as I learned more about the Bible and I saw in the books of uh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, Pauline letters, and I saw... I began to see the beauty in a unified theme that I began to see everything that I'm learning here in media is not separate from the Bible. In fact, all the same principles that we find apply in both. And so we find here, uh, or at least I learned, that there was a mesh or a, a, um, a mixing or a blending, harmonious blending of the two of design and the Bible. And where I saw this most clearly was the sanctuary. When I learned about the sanctuary, Ellen White talks about how the sanctuary uh, gives us a clear uh, conception that all these truths are connected and harmonious. So I began to see that design had its foundation in the Bible. Design had its foundation in the Bible. And I want to ask you guys a question. What is design to you? What is design? A lot of people think that design is simply uh, making things look nice or pretty. Um, while that's part of it, it's, it's much broader and deeper than we think. And if they're properly applied, the principles of design, if they're properly applied, they could influence not only just our designs, but even down to our churches, our personal lives, our family lives, 
uh, all these different areas. And so design, these principles that guide design are, I want to show you guys today that they're much bigger than design. These, these principles are not just limited to uh, the digital and the print media. They are divine principles that God wants to teach us. So what is design? Design is clear communication. Uh, at least that's the definition that I've come to throughout the years of my work as a designer. Um, I've come to find that design is basically, uh, every design will always have like raw text and they'll have you say, um, here we have all this information, boom, 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 design it in this way, we want it to look nice. And so the designer's job is to make sure we use that raw text and we make it so where it's clearly communicated but still aesthetically pleasing. So it's a balance of both. And I looked up some formal definitions of design, and a couple that I came across were, uh, here we have the art or action of conceiving of, of and producing a plan or drawing. And the example sentence says, good design can help the reader understand complicated information. And the other definition was purpose, planning, or intention that exists or is thought to exist behind an action, fact, or material object. In, and you know, when I think of design, I always think of creation. And if I were to, to summarize the thought, how many of you have ever thought, how is it that there, almost everything that you find in life will always teach you about different lessons? You know, we think of like uh, the family circle. We think of um, different object lessons that we find maybe in nature or, or various different aspects. And everything always teaches us a, 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 a lesson, a specific lesson, and it's so intentional and, and thematic that you have to ask, you can't, this can't possibly just come out of nowhere. I mean, it's, it's far too intentional. It's almost as if someone had a plan, a purpose, or an intention behind the creation. So design has a purpose and a plan. And today I want to show you guys the greatest plan that um, has ever been made. It was handcrafted and executed by God himself. And this plan was designed to redeem, restore, and reclaim us. That plan is the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation. We see that first in Genesis chapter 2 when Adam and Eve fell. Um, we know that the very after, the curse was brought. But at the same time, preceding that, God proclaims that there would be a, a Savior who would come and crush the head of the serpent. And it was in Genesis chapter 3 that we find that God gives a type or a symbol to represent this promise that God had instituted in Genesis chapter 2. And then we find at the cross that, um, yeah, then we find at the cross that it was ratified. Ratified basically just means uh, he, he acted it out. He fulfilled it. And we know that at the close of time, 
or when the millennium ends, then uh, Ellen White writes in the last paragraph of the great controversy, controversy, she says uh, that sin will be purified or sin will be gone from the, the universe and the whole universe will be clean. But today we want to look at the type or the symbol because this symbol was to be an image that was to teach us about a message. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. And here, God, uh, we're still in the garden, and this is after they had fallen and, and given into the temptation. And God here gives a, a precious lesson to both Adam and Eve that tells us about the message of salvation. It says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. So here we have the first uh, mention or, or institution of the sacrificial system. And Ellen White will go on to expound upon what this was to mean. She says, The sacrificial offerings were ordained by God to be to man a perpetual reminder and penitential acknowledgement of his sin and a confession of his faith in the promised Redeemer. So these offerings were to remind the people of God that Jesus would come to die. And in the New Testament, John clearly understood what this type, what this symbol, what this image meant for us. And so we see in John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So here we have John, and if we look back at what God had tried to communicate, God had tried to communicate that Jesus would come and die for the sins of the world. So I want us to see that John clearly understood what God was trying to teach him through image, through symbol, through type. John says, clearly he knows that the Lamb was pointing to Jesus. He says, behold the Lamb of God. So he knows what it was to mean. And he also knows what it was, or who it was to represent, and he also understood what it was to mean. And the symbol was to mean that Jesus would be the one to take away the sin of the world. That was, that was what the type or the, the system was to represent. So in summary, that the message that God was trying to communicate was one of salvation and salvation of man. That was the message behind the image or the symbol. But Ellen White will go on to talk and say, but the plan of redemption had a yet broader and deeper purpose than the salvation of man. It was to vindicate the character of God before the universe. So it was twofold. Here we see that it was both to save, or God had used a image, a symbol, a type, to illustrate the message that through the death of Jesus, we could be saved. But it was also to communicate a second message. It's to vindicate the character of God. And the reason why 
that it was to communicate, or the reason why or how it could communicate God's character was because it would be God himself who would actually die for us. And when I think of this, it's, it's much, I think it's hard and, and sad because we, we sometimes can't understand or comprehend uh, how truly profound this is, that God would die for us. I mean, here we have uh, Adam and Eve who, who had fallen into the temptation, who had uh, made a huge mistake, and everything is lost and taken away from them. But here we have a glimmer of hope, and through image, through type, through symbol, God communicates his message that not only does, does sal- is salvation offered to us as man, but that God is a loving God who would, who would die for us. That reveals his character to us. So what was the purpose of God communicating this way? Or uh, what was the uh, message? It was one, the salvation of man and the vindication of God's character. And when we look at the word plan, we have to think, okay, plan, um, when, you, when you plan something, there's a lot of thought into it, there's intentionality, and you have to ask yourself, when was this planned? Right, this this. This planned image has come up out of nowhere. God had to devise something. Uh, and the question we want to ask is, when was it planned? And in the book of Ephesians, it says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, meaning before creation, God chose us to be saved, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Revelation 13, 8 will tell us, uh, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life and of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So here we have two texts. The first one is telling us that God had the intention or plan to save us even before the, uh, the, the creation event had happened. This was in his mind. It was not an afterthought. And here we have the book of Revelation telling us that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. What does this mean? Basically, in Genesis chapter 3, remember, we had the promise. God had said uh, that, that um, the Savior will come and he will uh, bruise his head and you shall, bruise his, or you shall crush his head and he shall bruise your heel. And that basically was a prophecy of when Jesus was to come and die on the cross. Desire of Ages will tell us the plan for our redemption was not an afterthought, a plan formulated after the fall of Adam. It had always been on God's mind. And so the question is, we have this message. We know that God had planned this uh, way before, before creation. We know that God would come and eventually um, die for us on the cross and fulfill what he had said he would do. And the question is, why would God use this means of communication? You know, why do this? Why not just leave it at telling us about it? How does imagery affect us? You know, why would God use such a sensory experience? Well, Miss White will tell us they were intended to impress, 
upon the fallen race, the solemn truth that it was sin that caused death. And um, I remember uh, as a young child when my mom would um, catch me doing something wrong or I'd gotten in trouble, um, normally when you're punishing a child, you want to make a deep impression so that they know not to do that uh, later on. And it's not because you dislike them or, you know, you just want to be a cruel parent that day. You want to impress upon their minds the consequence of what they had done and show them this is not what should have been done, that it was wrong. And so God, through this very vivid experience, was getting the people of God to see that they themselves, while they held the, whole, the head of the lamb, would they themselves cut the lamb's throat And it's as if they were crucifying the very body of Jesus themselves. What a thought. There's a a doctor that says, he's um, Dr. Linnell Burmark, an educational consultant who writes and speaks about visual literacy. He says in his quote here, unless our words, concepts, ideas, are hooked onto an image, they will go in one ear, sail through the brain, and go out the other ear. Words are processed by a short-term memory where we can only retain about seven bits of information. Images, on the other hand, go directly into long-term memory where they are indelibly etched. Wow, etched. It's like someone's carving into your mind. And the, the, in, in essence, what this is saying is that visuals cause a faster and stronger reaction than words can. Um, we, we have a lot of brands today. We have a lot of logos. And many times, we don't even have to have the word mark. We just look at the symbol, and it communicates something to us. And so, I want to ask you guys if you can fill in the blank. This is a famous quote by Anonymous, and it says, a picture is worth a thousand words. A picture is worth a thousand words. And it's very true. And I want to show you a picture that uh, is very, um, it evokes a lot of things without having to say much. Here we have a picture of a father with some sort of ribbon Uh, coming out of his heart, and he's wrapping it around the wound of his daughter's knee. Now, of course, uh, this is a a, uh, a digital rendering, but it means a lot, and without saying much, you kind of get what it's trying to say. It's not literally saying uh, fathers pour out their hearts towards their kids, but through image, we can get that, that interpretation of the image. And so, without even having to speak, this image is is saying a lot and impacting and touching the lives of all those who watch it or who look at it. So why does God use imagery? Why did God choose to use the plan of salvation, or why did he choose to represent this message in the form of, of animal sacrifice? Why? Why such a vivid Uh, process. And it's because there's power in an image. And I found this beautiful quote online. It says, 
God uses beauty to touch us in the deepest places. <clears throat> now, there's nothing beautiful about animal sacrifice, but the, the essence of what this is saying is that um, images, experiences, feelings, uh, music, arts, different various things like that, they touch us in ways that words uh, have their limits. And Ellen White will say in the book Steps to Christ, you who in heart long for something better than this world can offer, recognize this longing as the voice of God to your soul. Steps to Christ uh, in the chapter Repentance. And for me, looking back, I, I would look back often on my experiences growing up, and, and many times, um, even in the times when I was not looking for God, whenever there would be times in, in my life where uh, there would be beautiful experiences that, um, that would just um, move on my heart, maybe something as simple as, as um, spending the day with my mom, and we're going out and we're walking, and um, my mom's a single mother, so I, I really love and cherish the relationship that we have together, but um, just these simple moments, and maybe we're out in nature and we're looking at the sun and uh, things seem all right at the moment. And these experiences speak to your soul. And whether you're looking for God or not, these things are the voice of God speaking to your soul. And so God will use these, God will use anything that he can to speak to us. He used a donkey. And so God will use various experiences to uh, teach us and, and guide us to him. So the main point is that God uses imagery. <clears throat> uh, the sacrificial system would bring to man the experience, to experience the heart of God. And I, I, I wonder if, if the Jews were to really understand what this symbol was to mean. It's as if, imagine... In the book of Leviticus, the burnt offering in chapter 1, it talks about how the people were to uh, bring their own offering to the temple by the courtyard, and they were to take their hands and actually uh, take the offering and, and kill the animal sacrifice themselves. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I wonder if today, every time we made a mistake, or every time that we sin, or every any time that we uh, catch ourselves doing something wrong, I wonder what, would, what it would be like if we were to have Jesus right there next to us and we were to grab his hands and crucify him and nail him on the cross right there, then and there, at every moment that we sinned and made a mistake. That would make such a deep impression. I mean, it really brings to mind the text when Paul says, uh, I am crucified with Christ. It brings a vivid picture. And so, the first lesson that God chose to teach was the consequence of sin, but a Savior to come. And so we see that God uses various means to communicate with man. He would use all sorts of ways to uh, communicate with us, whether it be through type, through symbol, uh, nature, the prophets, um, acted parables, and much more. And so having established the fact, uh, we answer the question, yes. Uh, God, God uses these means to communicate with us. And so having looked at that, 
how can we use these, um, how can we use design in God's work? How can we uh, practically come up with things to uh, further his message? So today we'll be looking at the principles of design. This will be uh, the practical part of my talk, and it'll go through and teach us various guiding principles that will teach us how to, um, how to create a design that will communicate its message clearly. And so again, uh, we, we've talked about before how design is clear communication, making sure the message is clear and in a beautiful way. But before to do that, it requires principles to guide us in making sure that that happens. So we're going to be looking at six principles. Uh, we'll just be looking at six. There's a, a ton more online. You can go and look for that. But uh, today we'll be looking at six principles of layout and composition. <clears throat> and I want to make sure we're in the right context. Um, usually in ministry, you'll find that you'll be making a lot of church event flyers and, and different various things. Or whether you're in church school or not, um, the most common thing that you'll be making is, are things like flyers or, or uh, different layout things. So I, I chose layout because I thought this would be the most practical. But like I said at the beginning of my talk, these principles are not just limited to layout. Uh, they, they span across a variety of different fields uh, from architecture and, and um, um, logo design and whatnot. So we'll be looking at hierarchy. What is hierarchy? Hierarchy is the arrangement of elements in order of importance. It creates organization, and it makes so that all the different elements on the page are in arrangement in order according to importance. And it can guide your eye to what's most important. Uh, it, helps you to, uh, it helps you what to focus on and in what order. And what problems does it solve? Uh, today we have a lot of uh, short attention spans, and so you want to grab the attention of the people quickly, as fast as you can. And so if you have something uh, very clear and big, it's going to grab their attention. And so if you want, whatever you want them to see first, you want to make sure that it's in uh, the proper order. And so for example here, I've taken the text that we had, and I've arranged it, in such a way where it's just, um, it's not in order. <clears throat> and um, I want us to go through and look and think about what would come first, the description, the title, or the header. What would come first? Normally, you have the, um, the header at the top, and the title, and then the description below. So we have here the, um, we have it now arranged in the right order. So here we're using the principle of hierarchy to make sure uh, first things first are communicated. So we have here the header, the title, and then the description. Um, that's basically what hierarchy is. And the next principle is proximity. Proximity basically um, it, it, it's, it's how close or far two things are to each other. And depending upon that, they suggest a relationship or a, a lack of relationship. What do I mean by that? 
If we were to have a recipe online and we were to look this up and, and um, try to figure out how to make a recipe from this, let's say it's a curry recipe, uh, the, the proximity is posing a problem here. Everything's kind of bunched together. And so we want to make sure that uh, things are nice and grouped together in their own group. Is that a little better? Kind of. It's not a run-on list. Uh, the problem with the last one was that uh, you'll see that um, it says for the marinade and then it lists the, the different ingredients. And you probably didn't catch it, but in the middle there it says for the curry. So you would think that that's an ingredient, but it's actually not. And that, because of the bad proximity, uh, someone could read it that way. So splitting it helped a little bit. Uh, but there's still a problem. Everything is clustered into one bunch. And so someone could read curry recipe for the marinade. That doesn't make sense. So we want to make sure that it's spaced out and it has uh, a good, each, each element is in their own group. That's what proximity is. The third principle is contrast. Contrast is the probably, in my opinion, it's probably the most important principle in design. And it's something that can really, it's, a, it's such a powerful tool. And there's a slide here. It says, um, speaking about making contrast between uh, typefaces, there, there are many ways to make contrast. Uh, contrast is basically, um, contrast is basically making sure that one element on the page is is different enough so that you recognize that it's different. It's not uh, vaguely similar. You're not sure if it's 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 different or not. It, you're, you're, it's very clear that there's a there's a difference. And so there's a, a variety of different ways to make contrast. It's not just with weights. Uh, there's with color, there's with uh, size, and different things like that. So here we have um, it telling us that um, that when using type, we should go from light to bold. And I want to show you an example of what it would look like if we were to have bad contrast. Here we just have raw text, contrast with weight. Now, the top text is in bold, and the bottom text is in regular, I believe. And I just want to ask you, if you were to zoom out far away, it's quite big here on the screen, but if you were to look at it from far away, is it clear that there's a difference? Not really. Um, that's much better, right? You have clearly something that's very thick and then something that's very thin. And it's interesting, uh, kind of going off on the side note here, but contrast is, is, like I said, these principles are not limited to the, the digital or the print. Uh, contrast is a rule or principle of life. And so we, hear, we see here a good example of contrast. There's a clear uh, or, or separation between the top and the bottom. And there's another way to make contrast. It's with color. Contrast is not just limited to weights. You can make contrast with color. So the bottom, and I barely noticed it, but the bottom text is gray, like a light, very light gray, and the, and the top is a white. And because there's a lack of contrast, you can barely even tell 
uh, that the color changed. But if we, we, if we make that more extreme, we see that we're achieving contrast. And we can also make contrast with size. And a good rule of thumb for uh, making contrast with size, if you're working with any sort of layout, uh, you'll find on the uh, right section of whatever program you're working with, it'll, it'll say that um, your type is either 30, 15, 20 points, or whatever number there is. Uh, the measurement here that's being used is called points. And so, for example, if you have a, a, a header and it's 100 points, you're going to want to use a subtitle that's either uh, 50 points or less. The rule is either half of that uh, or, or double it or more or less from, from then on, if that makes sense. So a good rule of thumb is to double the point size. And so we're going to look at that. Here we have contrast and width size. They're both 200 points. Now, if we were to change it to half of that, that would be 100 points. There we're achieving uh, what we want to achieve. And so here in this last example, we have here contrast with weight, color, and size. And we're getting somewhere. It's starting to look uh, pretty nice. So the next principle is repetition. <clears throat> repetition is exactly as what it sounds. Um, there's different words for it. Some people say consistency in design. Some people say um, uh, they call it theme. But repetition, here in this slide, you'll see that uh, there's, there's a consistent theme throughout. They're not all the same. But because there's repetition in different elements, you can tell that it's all part of the same design. Uh, if you look at the text about us, it looks like it's the same uh, capitalization. It's, it's the first letter, uh, the first word is capitalized, or sorry, the first letter of each word. And there's a consistent, it looks like a consistent size for the header and the body. And so here we have a repetition of elements, and we have the different repetition of the color, the color palette going on. And why this is important is because repetition strengthens design. And the reason why it does is because it ties these separate parts together. You begin to have a unified theme. And patterns, what they do for us, they create associations. Uh, it, it's similar to um, consistency. Uh, these elements are repeating, and so we, we begin to realize, hey, they're all part of the same picture. So they're individual, yet they're still a family. And repetition is so important for especially uh, if you're trying to brand a company, uh, even a church. And um, you'll notice in our village church, at the end of every video, there's a uh, logo animation that says message and mission. And that will consistently pop up throughout. And if we were to take um, that uh, design element and repeat it throughout every design of our church, then we'd have a more consistent and unified theme. And so repetition builds a strong sense of message. The next principle we have is white space. This is extremely important as well. I'd say probably up there with contrast. We've probably all seen websites like this 
um, maybe like an older version of eBay or Craigslist, but it's hard and you can't find what you want to find. And um, with a lack of white space, everything is just cluttered. So everything needs its proper space and here we're going back to our, our uh, recipe that we made, uh, the design, and we want to tweak it a little bit. Or, or here I want to show you that because uh, the, the principle of white space is being used, it's nice and clear and legible. The last one is alignment. And this, uh, this design principle uh, basically makes sure that everything is, is on one axis either vertically or horizontally, and that makes it so that everything has a connection one to another, even though they might be far apart. So we look at our, our recipe thing that we've been making here, um, and we want to apply the different uh, principles that we've learned here today from our seminar. Here we use contrast, the title's much bigger, and here we have uh, a different color for the subtitles as well. And you'll notice that the, the ingredients are thin as well. If we can add a picture in there, it's starting to look a lot nicer. So in summary, uh, what lessons did we learn? We learned that design is clear communication. That's the essence or uh, principle of design. And it wasn't until... Uh, my journey in seeing that all these different principles applied not just to the layout, they applied to our spiritual walk, that I began to see that uh, these principles that we learned today are not just design principles. These principles are divinely instituted by God. We think of hierarchy, and it talks about how important parts of the message must come first. Uh, we, we think of... Um, uh, you know, when people are preaching, there are different audiences, and you want to make sure that you have your message, uh, the message that they need to hear. And so proximity teaches us also that uh, in order for us to grow spiritually, we need to come together uh, as Christians and make sure that we're growing in unison with each other. And of course, contrast, uh, the Bible will often talk about how uh, we need to be separate from the world. Paul will tell us in Second Corinthians 6, that we should come out and uh, touch not the unclean thing. And repetition as well. We want to make sure that we're consistent Christians. And so the appeal I want to ask you today is, do we want our message to come across clearly? How about us as a church? How about us as a people, a family, as individuals? Do we want to show to the world that our, our message is clear and that they, do we want them to see that, uh, that God has done so much for us in our lives? How do we want our message to come across? We want to make sure that there's nothing in the way that when people see us, uh, they can too tell us that uh, we have been with Jesus. That's the message that we want to share with the rest of the world. And so, uh, I want to appeal to you that um, these principles are not just limited to design, but that they can teach us spiritual lessons, and I pray that we would allow us to be guided by the grand designer, uh, God himself, and help him or allow him to design not only our, our uh, lives, but our churches and our families uh, 
every day. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.